This is Carrie. And this is Jenny. And you're listening to Honestly Unfiltered. This week on Honestly Unfiltered, Carrie and I sat down with Hollywood actress Breanne Davis. Breanne is also a writer, producer, and director. She can be seen in Lucifer and on the History Channel 6. On the big screen, she starred with Jake Gyllenhaal in Jarhead and many others. Brienne has over 10 years of recovery as a sex and love addict. She is the host of the popular mental health podcast, Secret Life. Secret Life features inspiring true confessions from an eclectic group of guests, unpacking a plethora of taboo subjects. Brienne's latest venture in the Secret Life brand is her debut novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, which she released this past February. It was instantly on the bestsellers list on Amazon, and if you haven't read it, you should run out and get yourself a copy. We hope that you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed speaking with Brienne. Brienne, we just wanted to thank you so much for doing this interview because being willing to speak with us and share your story with the listeners that we do have, it's just it takes so much courage to me for you to be able to do that. And I'm just, we're extremely grateful. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad to be here. Honestly, anytime anybody gives me a chance to share, share my experience, strength and hope and help someone else is just an honor to me as well. So thank you for having me. Jen, do you want to start? Yeah, no, you go ahead. And I know you get interviewed and I'm obviously you're important, but I mean, like (laughs) you probably get the same questions all the time. I would think is, is, is there a question that no one ever seems to ask that you wish they would? Oh my God. That's a good question. Um, let me think about that. One Mm -hmm. might pop in my head. I don't know off the top of my head right now, but yeah, I love right. that question. So there <laughs> yeah. you go. That hey, was a new if you one. <laughs> think of an answer now. Later on, you'll you'll think of it, and then you'll be ready if somebody else ever asks. Mm-mm. Oh, I kind of have one that I always wish people haven't asked me, and don't. If they did, I can't remember. But they always think like with sex and love addiction, you are going to like get over it it's like a thing you get through and you get over it. And it's actually a part of your life forever. It's not something you can, it's like trauma. Mm -hmm. Like it just stays with you and you have to, every day I have to work to not let those addictive tendencies take over. I mean, it makes sense to me because it's like that with any addiction, no matter what it is. Yeah, but they don't think because you're addicted to people, you know, like, oh, well, if you learn how to have healthy relationships with people, it shouldn't be a problem, right? Or you get in a marriage or or you find someone that's like the love of your life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that has nothing to do with it. Actually, no. It's an internal job. And it's got to be, it just has to be really challenging, especially because of course, with, you know, for a woman to be talking about it, there's usually all this stigma, of course, as we all know, if a guy does it, they're like, Hey, good for him. 
Yeah. Oh no. There's so much stigma. That's why I didn't talk about it for over a decade. You know, that's why a lot in our women, especially you cannot get them to talk about it because it's mm -hmm. so much stigma and shame. I mean, the love addiction women are more willing to talk about, but mm -hmm. not the sex addiction part. Mm -hmm. And I always say that like sex addiction is, you know, you use your sexuality as currency. So that could be in a marriage when you do something sexual to get your partner, you're manipulating and controlling your partner. So you can be right. a sex addict and just be with one person. You don't have to like go out and sleep with a bunch of people, but yeah, right. there is still a lot of stigma and shame. Yeah. yeah. And I really hope the more that this is discussed that um, it removes that and women feel more so. confident to come forward and discuss those challenges so that way we can all support and love each other because most people let's face it have some form of addiction or there's addiction of my family my daughter's dad um mm -hmm. my late husband you know like it's just everything my mom's a gaslighter <laughs> you know and when you <laughs> Ugh. I have, I have many of those. Oh in my, my gosh. And narcissists and uh, totally like, and martyrs, like put themselves <laughs> on a cross. Like I have those. You know what I sacrificed? Not much, man. I lived in that house. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. that fun. I'm not sure what you sacrificed, but it wasn't <laughs> yeah. anything for me. Um, and, and, you know, there was even things um, when I was listening to your audio book, where mm -hmm. it's like those lights go on where you're like, oh, shit, either I know someone who does it or even like I was thinking back, which sounds so nuts. You're going to be like, oh, girl, 100 years ago. But like even in like middle school and part of high school, you know, it would be a game like to see yeah. if I could get this boy to like me. Yeah. And I think about it now. I'm like, oh, my God, that's horrible. But I did it. I did it. All I mean, the everybody time. does it. Everybody does it. If you think about society, everybody's mm -hmm. always trying to get somebody else, trying to like find that person. And once they get them, they usually then are like, oh, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the chase. Yeah, and, and it's, it's like, like that constant. And I agree that everybody has an ism, even if you don't come from an addictive family, like yeah. my family. When I did my generational, I looked down the line and I saw, you know, alcohol. It, alcoholism with my great great grandfather and every generation it was like workaholism overeating and it, it went through different stages with different people mm -hmm. and for me it was sex and love addiction so it's like i mean i i talk to people now people are addicted to netflix social media yeah like porn is a huge one that's a lot of problems right now that especially in my world people are suffering so much especially young boys are getting almost impotent. Like they don't feel sexu their sexuality anymore because it's so desensitized. Yeah, and that's so, so yeah, heartbreaking. I mean, oh, it's, it's like, heartbreaking. They're just being robbed of something really beautiful. Yeah. And that's awful. No, it, I'm telling you, and that is the reason I spoke out. That's the reason I wrote the Huff Post article. That's mm -hmm. the reason I wrote the book. Well, first of all, I don't ever feel like I wrote the book, but <laughs> It was because this younger generation was coming in the rooms at 20, 21 saying, I cannot connect to another human being. I wow. cannot use my sexuality. I feel so desensitized. And then young girls were coming in, you know, trying to live up to this 
what society puts on them look sexy over sexualizing themselves mm-hmm. because it's it's what is it that like positive sexuality or owning your feminism that huge movement which i think it's great women should mm-hmm. own their sexuality it's ours we can do what we want with it but it's like now it's gone so far where you're giving it away when you're not keeping it safe because it is yours does that make sense they're so much younger too now yeah they're they do and very young there is um someone i know that's um near my daughter's age so she's like i don't know i want to how old's your daughter she's 27. okay yeah and her husband's 31 and she's pregnant there's baby i'm like ooh. um i'm excited but then i'm like grandma just makes me feel old um (laughs) i have her on my instagram and p.s i suck at social media like i rarely go on i don't post things i just don't care it's yeah she's the unicorn good for you keep it like that yeah i just don't so But if at any time you go on this girl's Instagram or her Instagram story, girl, Mm -hmm. I I just want to drive over to her house because it's not that far from where I live and Mm -hmm. tell her to put some clothes on. Yeah, I I, like and I'm not like some freak show prude. That's not it. But I mean, it is. I just look at her and I'm like, stop doing this. Stop it. What is wrong yeah. with you? I know. I hear you. And that's why it's getting worse and worse. When I started 12 years ago, it was like you go into a room and I was the youngest one and there'd be like 30 people of all ethnicities, all generations, you know, there would be like an A-list celebrity, a janitor, a, mm-hmm. a school teacher. And now I go in and there's like the rooms are like 80, 100 people and a lot of them are the young, young over sexualized like we have to tell them to put on clothes because there's a lot of rules in right? the rooms. you yeah you that you can't wear certain things you can't say certain things mm-hmm. it's pretty much the safest place in the world being in a sex and love addict room like honestly like i would hands down rather hang in a room with a bunch of sex and love addicts in recovery than the real world because there's so many rules and you have to stick to them or they'll ask you to leave. Right. And that's really important too because then people feel safe. Oh, it's the safest room in the world. Like I rather hang out with my guy fellows than anybody else. Like yeah. they are the safest people. And I mean, it's like people knowing they've done wrong in their life and taking accountability for it are my yeah. favorite type of people. Well, yeah, because no one's perfect, but we yeah. just have to own our shit. But yeah, I guess that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, like, but, and you're right though, not everybody wants to own their shit. No not i would say very few you know people always do ask me about like harvey weinstein and kevin spacey and all these people Mm -hmm. that have said they were sex addicts and that they went to you know but the thing is i say they've taken no accountability you know it'd be different if harvey weinstein's yeah if he stood up and said hey listen i use my power and my everything to get what I want from women. And I definitely need to make amends for this. Mm-hmm. And I sincerely apologize. And now I've seen, I've hurt a lot of people. He's not one said that. No. So 
if he did come in the rooms and said that I would forgive him because he's a fellow addict, but I have no forgiveness for someone or I have, I try to have empathy, but sometimes it's hard when people don't own their own baggage. Like we all have baggage. You can't carry it around in the, right. You can't carry it around in this world and use it against people now. That's one of the lessons I've really taught my son is to own your mistakes and it, it's ironic because the mm-hmm. other day i was on the phone with his one of his counselors because he has adhd and um every year we do it i know i know I do too. and every year and one of the stories you told yeah. related made me relate to him um but his his counselor said that mm-hmm. what they love about him is when he it gets caught like daydreaming or not doing his work and they call him out on it. He he always says you're not wrong, and takes accountability for accountability for it. He doesn't make an excuse. But what what broke my heart in your? I don't think yeah. it was even in your book. I it might have been in the podcast interview that you did with your husband, and you told the story about how you mm-hmm. cry. Your mother was crying when you didn't know your ABCs. And it set you up to feel like you failed for the rest of your life or not failed, but you know what I mean? Where I'm trying to, where I'm trying to go with that, what you said. Yeah. Stupid. I, I, I carried that, that shame that I was stupid. And he feels that a lot of times. Yeah. I totally get that. Believe me. He was so young that, and I owe him constant and he's so talented and so smart and I'm constantly encouraging him because he, I'm like, look, you have ADHD, you think differently, but it doesn't mean you're stupid. You're far from it. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, that that's also why I, I put it out there that I have ADHD, that I am a working actor, that I have to memorize dialogue, that I wrote a book and I couldn't even write a complete sentence in English class. But it took me a long time to realize like my brain works differently Mm -hmm. and I'm not stupid. It doesn't make me stupid because I twist my letters or I say, you know, 80, it says 86 and I say 68. Like there's nothing wrong with my brain. And I also realize it just works faster than other people's. And and sometimes it doesn't, it's so fast. It doesn't connect with my voice. So tell him to hang in there. And I, the only thing I wish I would have said is I wish I would have told my mom how painful that was. And then we could have had a dialogue. Right. Um, so I didn't have to carry that around for the rest of my life. You know, that's what I, I, if I could go back and change anything, that's what I would change. I don't know if you're from the generation. I know, I know we're quite a bit older than you, but I don't know if, if, if it was still prevalent with your parents where with our generation, we didn't talk about those issues. Like, no, I just got drugs. I got like just Ritalin. I just got Ritalin shoved down my throat. And then it would turn me into a zombie. And I was like, I don't feel good. And they're like, well, you need it. And it was just, so there was no discussion whatsoever. It was just like, here, take this. Something's wrong with you. You have to take this pill. And that was it. And then, you know, doing the SATs and all that. Yeah, I I agree. I didn't take the medicine at all. I I actually threw it out a lot because I didn't like it. (laughs) Right. It totally. It, it is. It totally yeah. desensitizes you. And then I <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, who wants to feel dead inside yeah. all the time? I can do that on a normal day, much less I don't want to take something to induce it. Yeah. Totally. Because 
obviously since addiction runs in my family so prevalently do you ever worry about your son um picking up addiction habits and do you do anything to try to you know we we always think if you heal yourself then you heal the family so if mm. i stick to my program if i show up for a meeting every morning with my son my son's only three and a half but i'm on a meeting every morning when i'm feeding him breakfast he sees mama's meeting i say the serenity prayer he knows the serenity prayer he loves to say the like say it with me my husband is 33 years sober in aa so we definitely come from addictive backgrounds and we have had conversations like the reason we're doing it is obviously for ourselves, for serenity and peace and being of service. But the main reason is we're being of service to our son. So we don't carry on that Those baggage cycles. that we had, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm not going to use my, my son to fix mom. And that was done to yeah. that emotional mm -hmm. meshment, that codependency. Like it is not my son's job to give me a hug to make me feel better. It's right. not my son's, he gets to see, you know, his father and I have healthy conversations. He gets to see us argue in a constructive way. He gets to see that our bond is, is more important, you know, and we're there to serve mm -hmm. him and I don't own him, mm -hmm. you know, and I try never to do anything addictive in front of him. You know, I don't like overeat in front of him. I don't have inappropriate conversations. We don't, you know, drink and do all that stuff so hopefully the buck stops with us but you know it's he he has his own god and if that's the path yeah. that god's gonna have mm -hmm. him go down there's nothing i can do i just have to keep my side of the street clean so that's how we see it right no that makes sense i mean with my daughter it just because her dad overdosed and died her senior year so mm. it was i mean she's never been a huge drinker um mm -hmm. definitely not into other things she actually now like if she and it started right after her dad died she would tell if you had to go to the emergency room or the doctor's office she tells them she's allergic to pain meds because mm. she doesn't even but, want them because of her well, dad that's dying the thing, though i didn't drink i'm not a drinker i've mm -hmm. never done a drug I, I i didn't like smoke pot until in my late 20s like i wasn't interested in she that but i definitely sometimes. not pregnant obviously <laughs> no but i definitely <laughs> i would hope not i definitely no. <laughs> you know turn to my addiction to people you become addicted to relationships you become addicted to toxic relationships for me the addiction Girl. was i had I wanted power and control over everybody else because I felt so powerless inside. So my thing is like, you can become addicted to video games. You can become addicted to anything, honestly. So yeah, so we're keeping, you know, video games away from our son. He's not gonna have a cell phone. We're gonna be really those uncool parents and I'm actually okay with it. Like I rather, I rather be uncool and him get mad at me than, me contributing to him numbing out in life. Like I want to make my, allow my son to feel his feelings, not have to numb out, you know, not to be overwhelmed by them. They should teach that in school. So a big thing that we do is how you get through a feeling. So we teach him, you know, how to have a feeling, how to go yeah. through it, how to talk it out, not trying to fix it, not trying to make it better for him. Mm. 
not trying to solve all his problems. So, yeah. Well, just because they're small, they have big feelings. They just oh, don't have God. the life experience to cope. Well, we Most don't even have the life. Don't. Yeah. Like, what are you point. talking about? Yeah. I know so many people that don't want to feel their feelings. I don't oh, even please. like to feel my feelings. When I'm sad, I like want to get out of it. And I'm like, no, just feel this too shall pass. This feeling yep. won't kill you. But yeah, their feelings are yeah. out of control. Just yeah, like us. They <laughs> Seriously. You know, I mean, I've been going to trauma therapy for like a year now mm -hmm. and it's really helped because I had so many toxic people in my life that mm -hmm. I would, I, I just wouldn't have cut out before. I just stayed in the mess. Yeah. Yeah. No, you got to cut out those toxic people. I mean, those are the people that everybody thinks it's like just toxic romance but it's really family members it's really friends. oh mine was family are, members yeah, and friends I, that's yeah. who mine was mm -hmm. it I wasn't a love interest those are the most difficult to cut out too it's a like mm -hmm. you go through this first separation we call them qualifiers the people that bring you into the rooms which it's like usually a love interest so someone comes mm -hmm. in because they're so heartbroken and suicidal and they want to go back to this toxic relationship or they cheated on somebody and now mm -hmm. feel that feeling so that you get rid of it. You go through that withdrawal. We call it a withdrawal. Like you withdraw from that person. And mm -hmm. then that's when the real work comes. That's when you actually have to look at every single relationship in your life. And usually they are all toxic and they're all out of balance and unavailable. Because if you're picking unavailable mm -hmm. people or you're using your sexuality, really it means you're unavailable. So it's like you have to turn in and look at you and who you surround yeah. in your life. Yeah. 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 And once you start cutting those toxic people out and having um, solid uh, boundaries with them, it's amazing how quiet your mind gets. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's what boundaries does. We think boundaries are amazing. like boring or I always thought when I was setting up boundaries with people that I was like, wait, my life, I can't flirt or intrigue. My life's going to be boring. <laughs> I'm not having any drama. Like I have to not gonna have any friends. <laughs> I'm like I have to show up when I say I'm going to show up. I have to make amends for when I've done wrong or somebody yeah. has done wrong to me. What do you, that sounds like the most boring existence. But it is like the most freeing and the most it is it's such a beautiful thing to have boundaries because it protects you and it protects the other person from you because me as an addict i like to act out i like to you know manipulate control and you know that's <laughs> not a good thing <laughs> you're like game on Let's do this. <laughs> right but that that shit will kill you and it almost killed me you know there's some moments that i put myself in where i you know and you saw in chapter one you, you know the the dreaded confrontation with two um aka atl and nyc yeah i was wondering if that i was wondering yeah I was wondering if that actually happened and that. that was one of my questions and I that tossed it off and I was like, no, I usually don't tell people what happened and what doesn't happen because I love them to like try to guess, but that, that, that one did happen. Yes. That was, that, um, that's rough. Not yeah. one of my finest moments. <laughs> did you have that revelation at that time? 
it was later on. Honestly, when I wrote the book, I, I wrote it like a long 45 minute share. Yeah. You know, I have, mm -hmm. I speak all over and I have these shares and I wanted to make it where you're reflecting back and you're looking at, so all my bottoms are kind of mixed together and mm -hmm. amplified. Some of them are amplified and some of them are put in different locations, but as a sex and love addict, you have so many moments where you're like, can I go this way and like choose the right thing? Or can I go mm. back and do the same thing over and over again? And majority of the time you go back and do the same thing. So sure. that wasn't my bottom bottom. I have a question. Yeah. Would you ever consider turning yeah. your book into a movie? Yes. Yes, I would. I actually wrote it like a television show and a movie yeah. when I was writing it because being an actor, I'm so used to reading scripts and that mm. descriptiveness. Yeah. And I, and I pictured the character of Roxanne because when I was writing it, I first wrote it like a memoir. It was a pure memoir. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it in 45 days. I, I literally just came through and I've never wanted to write a book. You do not understand. Like my husband was like, I feel like you should take this writing, writing course. And I was, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'd be like, bitch, I'd be like, you write the book. I'm busy. I, know, I was like, I was, I was literally shooting Lucifer and I was like, what? I have a job. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not. And he just kept nagging me. And I was like, why are you? And he, I said, I'm dyslexic. I can't even write a complete sentence. Why are you bothering me right now? I failed English. Like, and he just kept doing it. And by the sixth time, he looked at me like very seriously. And he said, listen, it's not that much money. It's 90 days. If you don't like that by the second class, you can quit and tell no one. Like no one mm -hmm. has to know. Like only I will know. Don't tell your sister because my sister's a writer. My dad's a writer and all this stuff. No pressure. Like, yeah, right. I was like, okay, I won't tell any." I so I finally said yes. So I wrote it in 45 days as a memoir. But then when I was doing the rewrites and working on it with my editor, all these other memories started coming back and other people's stories over the decade and, mm -hmm. and my imagination as an actor and the voices started coming out and I just like put it all in there and it just became this other person. So when I was writing Roxanne, she wasn't me, but she was me, but she's so many mm -hmm. other people, you know? And right. I would love it to be made into a movie or a television show yeah. because I feel mm -hmm. like there's been one show that talked about love addiction. It was called Love on Netflix. And I it did not represent our community at all. And our community- I'm spoke, sitting here trying to think if I've watched it because I'm addicted to Netflix. Well, yeah. So they only talk alone. about it. They only talk <laughs> about it once at in the first episode. And it's a guy story. And I'm like, I'm so over guy story, sex addicts. We got shame. We got Californication. We've got love. We got- and it's just not a good representation of what this society looks like. And it's such a shame stigma that I'm like, let's break open the doors and like really show it what it is, the good, the bad, the ugly, yeah. the healing, then the downfalls too. I mean, I visited, I, wor I worked at yeah. the jails in downtown Los Angeles for two and a half years. Every single woman in the jail was there for sex love addiction. Like she sold for her partner. She sold herself. She prostituted. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had friends murdered over this addiction. I've had friends commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I just really, if we could get it on television, I think it would just mm -hmm. even make a bigger splash and help people heal. I think it would. Because I think if it, 
Yeah. Because my agent. I agree. (laughs) Well, because presenting it in that format. You should be (laughs) my agent. I've been been saying that for a while. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. No, no, no. The part about the movie. Yeah. (laughs) It could be such a non-threatening way to bring this for families to watch and discuss because just like with the book, there's pieces of your life. You think about yourself. You're like, damn girl, oof, Mm -hmm. that was not your finest moment. And then there's other people you think about and you're like, they need to listen or read this, you know, (laughs) listen or read the book because yeah, they got a lot going on. Well, if you think about, if anybody's listening, go ahead, go ahead. I cut you off. Sorry. Uh, I uh, no, but if, (laughs) no if anybody's listening but think about your friends like how many get in toxic relationships over and over again how many stay in bad relationships how many keep going back to bad relationships or amplify the person they go out how many go on dms and try to like get the likes the attention the validation Mm -hmm. how many women and men use their sexuality to get what they want to manipulate and control Mm -hmm. others i mean it is crazy that we do not talk about this. And every single one of my friends have had bad relationships with parents, friendship, mm-hmm. lovers. And that's what it's about. You take away a chemical addiction, there's a family issue. You take away the family issue, there's a relationships across the mm-hmm. board. And we just do not talk about it, especially from a woman's point of view. And that's, I hope it does. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Whatever God has planned is what I always say. Yeah, I really hope it does because I think it could, well, it's kind of like the increased dialogue there is now around mental illness. Yeah. It needs to be to that same level with this because so many things are intertwined. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're struggling with one, you can end up with the other. Like, it's just which in some cases, unfortunately, is like the perfect storm. And it's probably when someone does take their own life. Oh, yeah. So I mean, my husband took his own life. So you know, it's just when people are struggling with different things, you just don't know where their minds going to end up. And the number one reason if you lose your sobriety in another program is over relationships. Relationships are the number one reason why people lose their time. That's so crazy to think mm-hmm. about. It's yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Wow. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. I got a question. Okay. Is that over well, it's more of a comment? Um, is that uh, while reading the book and well, like through the uh-huh. years, I've had friends that get in one relationship after another and they're bad and they stay too long. And, you know, it's it's a, like it would be or I would their friends are friends. And uh-huh. I would think to myself, oh, they're the type of girl that can't be without a man, you know, that they just have to have that constant companionship. But then in reading your book, it like the the light goes off where oh yeah that's what that it's is. a fear that's, of being alone it's, it's a, a fear of intimacy it's fear of ne- not being worthy enough so you're going back and like overlapping relationships or going from relationship to relationship to relationship to find your self-worth to find love when really 
you should never do that. You should pause. You should see, wait, what happened bad in my last relationship? Look at that. Go look at your character defects, what you brought into the relationship, who you chose. Look at who you chose because normally that's a that's a mirror for yourself. What you're, everybody always likes to play the victim, but really you play a part in a bad relationship. You either put up with it, you didn't have a, you know, stand up for yourself. You put up with bad behavior. Mm-hmm. You yourself did bad behavior and put your own character defects on someone else. And it's like people just keep going from relationship, bringing their baggage with them. And it's like, you are never going to get filled. There is nobody out there that is ever going to fix you, be perfect enough, be be the ideal partner, be your soulmate. Like it just doesn't exist. And I'm just Mm -hmm. tired of that dialogue. Like all the songs, all the movies that saying like, go search for this person. You have to get married. It's just like, oh, let's get over it already. It's not true. It's not going to fix you. (laughs) So I have a question because yeah. I would be on the other end of that no. where I, s- I became like sexually anorexic. Oh yeah, that's a that's a that's a gnarly beast. The anorexia side. Of it. it is. It's what worse. Are, it's harder what do than I the do? other. What do I do? Well, that's your fear of intimacy. <laughs> it truly is. You are shut down. And when I'm in my anorexia state, especially with mm-hmm. my husband, you know, we've been together almost 17 years, and it's like. I'm like, wait, no, sex is supposed to be dirty and and wrong and a secret and like a high, like I want to get high, like give me the butterflies, give me the intensity, give me the passion, give me the the, forbidden, the forbidden, the falling Mm -hmm. in love, like the first Mm -hmm. time touch, first kiss, first blah. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that does not last. And I never realized that. So what happens is once it gets like comfortable and too close and intimate, I shut down sexually and that's because I'm afraid of intimacy. It's too close. I feel too seen. <laughs> you know, it's too much work. It's it's like, it's not a high, it's a connection. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. what do you mean you want to like stare into my eyes and us have a conversation and like yeah, cuddle like, afterwards? Like, I do see I'm like crawling out my skin right now. But it's like... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. if you can go that'd be great <laughs> yeah like but... okay high five let's Ugh. like see ya but even yeah. when you're with someone and you have a bad relationship then a lot of people turn sexually anorexic they're like it's too much work it's too much intimacy i got hurt too bad i don't want to get abandoned again and it's like I'm right there with you. I can do it in a relationship and out of a relationship. But the sexual anorexia is the hardest part of the addiction to break. That one's the tough one. So, So what are you telling me? (laughs) Yeah. So what do I do from there? I mean, I'm talking to my therapist about it and stuff. But, (laughs) yeah. You do the opposite of what you're comfortable with. So, like, if you have plans to go out or go on a date. I'm eating an Altoid on that one. (laughs) You then, and you want to break those plans or not go, then you have to force yourself. (laughs) It's almost like you have to push against your resistance to shut down or to isolate. We like to isolate as anorexics. And usually I know I love being alone too. I'm like, don't, why is my husband calling? I love it. I feast on being alone and by myself. Mm -hmm. 
But here's the thing. We are humans and meant to connect to other people. And you do not learn being alone. You do not grow being alone. Yes, if you're going through pain and withdrawal from a bad relationship, you need to be alone to heal. But once you're through that, you have Mm -hmm. to connect to other human beings. So the first thing I say for people with sexual anorexia is like, you have to lean into the uncomfortability. It's really hard. Like you have to lean in when you want to lean out. Oh my gosh. I know it's torture. Wrap it around my neck. Torture. (laughs) No, it's true. No one talks about how horrible the sexual anorexia because underneath, honestly, after almost 12 years, underneath this addiction, every sex and love addict, every person that goes out there and has one night stands, swiping Mm -hmm. left and right, going back to toxic relationships, you know, masturbating, going to porn, Mm -hmm. you know, going from relationship to relationship like I did, cheating on their partners, you know, always looking outside of themselves. Underneath all that acting out behavior is a sexual anorexic, that they're actually afraid of intimacy. Like they don't want to be seen. (laughs) I'm like, damn, this is, I have to publicly acknowledge this. Like I typically do, but. Ugh. I know it's, it's not fun, but here's the thing. <laughs> now, you know, and once you know, you can do better. Yeah. <laughs> Look at her. If you could see her face right now and you're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ew. I don't this want. This seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it is. I know. Well, it was. Well, Carrie, Carrie, Carrie years ago told me, she said, and she said that she relayed this to her. She said, you're, she said to me, you're the, you're the female Jerry (laughs) Maguire. You're great at friendship, but you suck at intimacy. And yeah. Well, good. We're all in (laughs) it together. That's the truth. It's the truth with me too. I am the best friend in the world to anybody, but, but my husband, you know, he's, probably think something yeah and it's our it's underneath and when i turn cold it's because underneath i'm afraid to be seen i don't feel like i'm worthy enough i don't feel like Mm. i'm really worthy of anybody's unconditional love i'm scared of being abandoned i'm scared of intimacy and it's just overwhelming and i think when you come from a background if of addiction where you can't people don't show up for you the basic people don't show up for you Mm -hmm. you go into survival mode and when you're in survival mode the last thing you want to do is be Mm -hmm. intimate with someone and show your like heart and your rawness so you're i shut down but that kills me it will kill me if i shut down Right. It will kill me yeah. if my son t- turns and he's like, I don't want to play with you, mommy. Like you did that the other day. And I, and every ounce of me just wanted to put on that mask of like, fine. I fuck you, little boy. Like I really like, had that thought. I'm out of here, bitch. I gave you life. What do you Make mean your own you don't want to play with me? <laughs> right? But it's like, that's my anorexia. He just hurt my feelings. He hit that that core where I don't think I'm worthy of love or show, being shown up for. So he hit that button, and, but every ounce of me not to turn anorexic, I had to like lean into, no, you love more. You love mm-hmm. more. Oh, you're closing down. You're cold. No, open. Go open. Go like you lean into opening up, staying open. So that's like one of the main tools. Damn, that's going to be so rough. It's rough. It's rough. 
but it's the best yeah. because I feel everything. Good luck with that. I'm right. Not, I'm not numb anymore. And, and that's the thing, you know, Dr. Cass, you know, you numb one emotion, you numb all emotions. You yeah. don't get to decide if you feel happiness, but you don't want to feel sad or disappointment mm. or, you know, you numb everything. And that's how I lived for so well, long. And, you know, it's like I've worked through so many different feelings, mm -hmm. but just when it comes to that real intimacy piece with another person, I'm like, wow. Yep. yep. Close for business. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It makes me want to crawl out of my skin, as you saw. I mean, mm -hmm. we I had to do like an intimacy exercise with my husband and we had to like hug and I couldn't like crawl out of the hug and, yeah. couldn't, and it couldn't turn sexual or anything. We had to like hug with no clothes on and it was just so uncomfortable <laughs> just to be held without like you know, manufacturing or putting on a show or playing a right. role. And it's just was, those things are so uncomfortable and I get it. You know, I get it. If anybody out there is struggling in a long-term relationship, you know, having that sexuality, not using it, you know, on and yeah. off. And I mean, we consider you like a Renaissance woman because <laughs> you're a wife, a mother, um, um, actress, director, producer, writer, you're all these things, but what do you feel like really is your biggest passion or do you really have one? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Um, honestly, if I could answer that, it's probably being of service to other people that are suffering with this disease. That actually yeah. fills my soul where I feel the most in my skin that I'm connecting with one other person and helping them get out of their deadly patterns and not right. live years and years and years in this disease. You know, it's going and being of service and sharing that journey. That's where I feel my most like in myself. Yeah, probably the most authentic. Yeah, because for so many years I had a mask and then I became an actor and I had on more masks yeah. and makeup right? and outfits. And then, <laughs> and then you're professionally trained and paid to just yeah. fool people, basic, you know, and just be this whole other person. Yeah. I mean, I told you in the book, Dr. Kath, my therapist in the book was like, mm. you pick the worst profession for your career. Right? You live in oh fantasy and you become other people. And I'm like, yeah, what's what's wrong with that? And he's like, <laughs> you are literally hollow. I was hollow. Right. And you're like, well, this yeah. is my moneymaker. Yeah. You want to get paid on the next session? <laughs> But until I was in too much pain and I yeah. couldn't do the moneymaker anymore. I couldn't keep putting on those masks. And it was like, okay, either you're going to feel like this the rest of your life and be chasing this thing you'll never get, or you have to do the work. And I was willing to let go of being an actor, you know, and I, all that yeah. stuff I wrote about, you know, hitting my rock bottom with the withdrawal, all that stuff is real. Like I had moments where I was like, okay, take away being an actor. I didn't work yeah. for the first year of my recovery. Yeah, it was tough. And that had to be really hard too. Oh yeah. It was like a whole person dying and a whole fantasy yeah. dying and a whole thing like this career yeah. will fix me. And it's like, no, the, the money doesn't fix you. The job doesn't fix you. The clothes, the, everything, nothing fixed you on the outside. 
nothing will ever fix. Mm -mm. And that's why, you know, I spoke out too, as a, as an actor, as a working actor, like mm -hmm. you can want this thing, this followers on Instagram, this job in television, people mm -hmm. admiring you. And it means nothing if you're empty inside. It means absolutely yeah. nothing. Well, because. Yeah. But obviously with as much service as you give to everybody and how passionate you are, you're not, you are hiding that emptiness because you're, you obviously have so much love for all of the people that you help and being of service that that's just it shows that that, oh, that yeah. disease well, makes you yeah because people like, terrify me almost. you know people actually terrify me and i have to like see someone I, I i always talk about the compare and despair you know chapter seven it's like i have to be mm -hmm. better than or less than somebody and majority of the time i was less than and it's like no now i just see people as they're just humans just like me and they're just struggling and when i can have empathy and compassion and help someone else that helps mm -hmm. me stay sober every time i help someone every time i answer a dm every time i do a, mm -hmm. an interview or write an article i am doing it to help someone else to for me to stay sober honestly right. because when i help someone else then that goes okay i'm i help yeah. someone else I'm okay. Like I can be of service. Then that helps me stay sober every time I, with my clients or, you know, one of my sponsees or just even going mm -hmm. on set and talking to somebody going through a bad breakup. Anytime mm -hmm. I'm of service outside of myself is the best place for me to be. Cause I'll go into yeah. ego. I'll go into ego thinking it has to do with me and it doesn't. I love your honesty. <laughs> As you can tell, we're very honest. <laughs> I love it. I yeah, it. no, I really do. Yeah, me because too. like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, Jenny and I were talking the other day. It was about some celebrities or something. And I'm like, she's a sex and love addict. Oh, yeah. And and then I'm like, okay, now I just sound all judgy. But then at the same time, mm -hmm. you want to tell that person, look, you keep bouncing around. You need to love yourself because yeah. you're just not putting a man down for a millisecond. Yeah, no, I believe me, the, this industry I live in is like littered with sex and love addicts. First of all, there's a lot in the rooms that I'm in, but like I've helped a lot. <laughs> but yeah, it's this industry just breeds wanting that attention, that outside validation, the someone to love you unconditionally, all that over and over again. And it's like, I have friends that are A-list people and I'm like, she's got it. You got to stop. You got to stop. You have to be alone. You have to heal. You can't keep going from person to person thinking they're going to be the one to complete you. I'm just so over that narrative, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, because if you're not comfortable in your own skin and like yourself, yeah. why the hell is anybody <laughs> else going to? Like, no one's going to fix you. No. And then they'll go to like shopping. And I'm like, the shopping ain't gonna fix you. That new house is not gonna fix you. Mm -hmm. That new Bentley is not gonna fix you. Getting pregnant is not gonna fix you. <laughs> oh, getting a God, boob no. getting a boob job is not gonna fix you. You know, like <laughs> yeah. so I'm just glad to be on the other side of it <laughs> and that I'm not doing that. But I also then get to hold up a mirror and say, Hey, there's like hope on the other side. Come. Yeah. Come if you want, but if you don't, that's okay too. That's your choice. So it's always giving mm -hmm. people the choice. Yeah. Like, here's what I have. Here's the experience I have. You can take it or leave it, but I'll still be here if you want right. to get help. So, Yeah. And that just means I've, mm -hmm. 
Oh, thanks. And people reading stories. Oh, definitely. Because um, when we were talking the other day, that was one of the things we were discussing was just, I could, we could tell the importance you felt about being of service to others. Yeah. It's everything to me. Honestly, it's everything. And that's the book is, and the podcast is about being of service to others. I didn't write the book for me. I didn't even want to write the book. Like I, like I said, it was, I feel like it was my God or higher power wrote the book. And it was like, this book has nothing to do with me. It's, it's to help other people that are, that are suffering, that don't understand it and don't understand what this disease looks like and how it manifests. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it helps people. I mean, that's the only reason I wrote it. Um, Jenny and I know about your podcast, um, <laughs> The Secret, but would you like to tell the listeners we do have a little yeah. bit about it? Because it is really, really good. <gasps> Thanks. I'm, thank it you. Is. Yeah, it's called Secret Life Podcast really or Secret Life. And it's, you know, I did it after I wrote the article for HuffPost. And I mm. remember, and I say this really specifically, I remember the morning HuffPost article was coming out and it was me saying, not, hey, I'm at Sex and Love love addict in recovery and i kid you not i at 9 a.m when it was coming out i was like oh my god what did i do what am i doing i ruined my career i'm never gonna work again everybody that hires me is gonna think i'm like some sex crave maniac you know like trying to trying to like hustle the scene you know (laughs) so i panicked and then yeah. <laughs> what happened two hours later, nothing happened. <laughs> it was such a humbling experience. I was like, okay, lady, yeah. like get over yourself. Like no one cares. Literally nothing happened, but here's what happened. Something did happen. That last bit of stigma and shame that I didn't mm-hmm. realize I was carrying around for after 10 years, because it was right after I got my 10-year chip, just vanished. It was like I became my full self, like all the warts, all the flaws, just saying, here mm-hmm. it is into the world. You can judge me. I don't care. You can throw you rocks at me. You can call me mm-hmm. a whore. You can call me like I use my looks, whatever you want to say, or I wish mm-hmm. I met her when she was in her disease all that Uh, stuff that's so gross yes but it was like it just rolled off my back and i was like yeah i'm so okay inside you can say anything to me and it's okay and that's what happened and but then that week it hit two million people downloaded the article and read oh my gosh that's amazing what a great platform yeah and then all these people all over the world started reaching out to me saying I did that. My girlfriend did that. My dad did that. My cousin, you know, thank you for, I've never heard of this. I did the 40 questions. Like I'm going to a meeting. All these people started reaching out to me and what happened? Then the world shut down with the pandemic. Three days later, the world Uh, shut down. Of course it did. (laughs) Yeah. And I woke up a month later Mm. and I had this thing at 3 a.m. And I said, Secret Life Podcast. I allow other people to come on and share that last bit of secret that they've held Mm. from the past or they still have in the present. They can Mm. change their names anonymous. They can tell me who they are. And so I got a mic and I interviewed a friend and I interviewed my husband to Mm. see if I even wanted to do it. And then I got 125 interviews in a matter of like wow. a month, all over anonymous. Majority of them are anonymous. So it's every, wow. my first anonymous mm. one is Kristen's episode. 
and she shot herself in the chest with a shotgun because she couldn't reach perfectionism. And she wow. walked me through mm. after she shot herself in the, in the chest and what that felt like and all that. So that was the first one. And it was just that moment of like, oh my God, this is bigger than me. Yeah. And I just, people all over the world started just t writing me their secrets, asking to yeah. come on and I changed their names. And so we've had like, you know, using abortion as a form, for, a form of birth control, you know, stealing food from Jeff Bezos at Whole Foods. <laughs> you know, we've had people coming out stories. The One of the mm. hardest ones was this woman <laughs> in the Midwest. She Her OBGYN sexually assaulted her after she gave birth to her son um, right after. Um, so it's like really dark secrets. Mm -hmm. And then it's some really funny ones at the same time. So I'm really proud of it. It's, you know, we have some celebrities come on. Olivia Munn came on, Cheryl Burke and um, Robert Gann and Janet. We've had big people come on. Mm -hmm. but I really like the ones where they're anonymous and they just spill out everything. Right. They bad done or thought, you know, so. Because yeah. it's so much more raw. Like I have listened to some of your episodes. I want to say probably like four. Yeah. I was hyper focused on the book and listened to it <laughs> twice because you know how we get. So, um, but it is interesting <laughs> because like there are so many things that you think about and you're like, oh my God, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. That's what I try to do. And I always, my whole motto is tell me your secret and I'll tell you mine. So mm -hmm. every episode I try to reveal something about myself so they don't feel like they're the only ones telling. And it's a good, it's just two people connecting on a, a raw, authentic level mm -hmm. and there's no judgment. Because I always say, listen, you haven't done anything I haven't thought about doing, done, almost Please. did, you know, right. fantasized about doing. So you can't tell yeah. me I've either heard it, mm -hmm. done it almost did it or someone I knew do it because I've just been in recovery for so long. So I just, it's just one of the best things I've ever done. And we've released 67 episodes so far and we have 74 in the can still. Wow. Yeah. Now, do you do like block recording, like block no. scheduling your energy? What? Sorry. <laughs> am I not supposed to ask? No, you can totally ask. <laughs> she can edit it out. Yeah. But like, do you block schedule interviews so that way you can like get a whole bunch of them done? Like well, just when I started recording, I just like the world shut down. So I just put it out there. I blasted oh, yeah. it. And then I just had, so I was doing five, sometimes four to five interviews in a day. So I was wow. just getting them done because I knew if the world opened up, I'd get busy again. And then I'm glad I did it like that because I started having to edit the book and getting it, mm -hmm. you know, doing that whole process that's like torture. And then the audio book was like the worst. It was uh, like. I bet trying to record that oh. thing, I bet you were like, if I have to reread this one more time, yeah, I'm everyone can suck it. Right? <laughs> Even though I read it, I'm still dyslexic and reading out loud is uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And then it's right. like, wait, I have to read all these deepest, darkest secrets in front of a sound guy yeah. that doesn't know me and I'm talking like, it gets really sexual. And when I was reading yeah. it, I was like, holy shit, I can't <laughs> believe I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> like the threesome one and then just like oh my gosh. The, the vagina gate yeah <laughs> yeah that i i laughed yeah. at my desk anyone saw me on the cameras somebody the other day told me she true. was she was in target buying diapers while listening to chapter eight 
the threesome. She was like worried people were hearing yeah. like in the diapers. It just that was the best chapter to write. But can you imagine reading that out loud in front of like some guys? Just like no, all the no. worst things you've done, said, and like put no. yourself in. It was just torture. No. I'm, I'm pure torture for two weeks. It has to torture. be because I. I know sometimes even on our podcast where we're like <laughs> airing all our stuff. Yeah. Like afterwards, I'm like, dear Lord, baby. What Jesus. did I just like, say? Yeah. But the whole thing is it's honestly unfiltered. Well, I have to be yeah. my authentic self. Like I can't just pick and choose. Yeah. Like, I hear. I mean, believe in my me, mind, I hear yeah. you. <laughs> you know, because like then if I if I'm picking and choosing, I'm just a fraud. Yeah. No, I I agree. It was, but it was bad. And, but here's the thing. My husband was like, so now we have to do the audio book. Cause he's like, produce everything with me. And Mm -hmm. I go, what, excuse me? What are you talking about? And I literally, that was my, and he goes, uh, yeah. And they were all like, yeah, the author reads the book. And I said, can't we hire an actor? And my husband looked at me and he goes, you're an actor. I was like, yeah. But I don't want to be hired. Yeah, I said, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't write it thinking I would have to read it and record it yeah. in my own voice. Like this was not right. It's not like you can have a secret identity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was so like that's how much I didn't know yeah. I was writing the book for it to actually be published and put out of the world. Like I had no clue that I was then gonna have to like record oh, it. Like re- yeah, right. Right. That makes sense, though, because then it's like, okay, well, this is some next level shit I'm dealing with right now. Yeah, so that's how it is, but I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad you guys enjoyed it. I'm glad that I put it out there because if it helps one person, which I already have heard it has, it's meant everything to me. It's just like it made it worth it. Every, Every hardship, every, you know, the best thing was my mom read it. Yeah. Really? Yes. What was what was her reaction to it? The day after it came out, she called me on FaceTime and she read it in like 24 hours. And I was like, oh my God. And she said, she started crying and she said, I'm so proud of you. And she said, it's so great. And then she said, and some of the things you've done, I've done too. And it was just... Oh. It was such a healing moment. My husband was next to me and he started crying. And I was like, you know, I was like, oh my God, thanks mom. And I got off the phone. Like I had no reaction. And I was like, yeah, (gasps) I just started bawling. So just that moment to like have that bonding (laughs) moment with my mom. And she really saw me. And she said one other thing. She said for the first time in 10 years, I understand your addiction completely. So it was a beautiful moment. And I'm really glad I wrote the book. Mm. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a very beautiful moment. So, So, I mean, again, I'm just so grateful that you've spent this time with us because, I mean, of course, I have my own assignment to work on, but whatever. You do. You have your tools now. <laughs> you can always join a sexual anorexia medium with me, too. <laughs> I have the information. It's Thursday night. It's tonight. Just so you know. Shut the front door. Oh, my 
<laughs> I have a seat. I have I'll have a seat there for you. I'll warm it for you. I'll keep it when you're ready. <laughs> no, I know I should, honestly. We should probably talk about this when the recording shut off. Yeah. Um, but Jen, do you have any other questions <laughs> that you want to ask? We don't want to hold our hostage. I don't think so. Not that there are any that are appropriate. Well, for thank you. And, oh. <laughs> Not that. Oh, wait, that I do have one more question. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're working on a second book? Yes. Book two, Roxanne, Sober Dating. I'm rewriting oh. right now. Yeah, it's like her next 10 rules she oh, lives wow. by and how to sober date in a healthy way. That's awesome. Yeah, so. See, now it could become a series. Yeah, so, well, actually, there was three yeah. books. There's a third book that I mm -hmm. haven't outlined. Yeah. The second book's already written. It's just in rewrites right now. But the third book, and then my husband turned to me like a couple months ago, and he's like, there's a fourth book. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Leave me alone. You're like, bitch, hop off, man. I didn't even want to do the first one. I know. <laughs> and then he explained it to me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> so yeah, it's four. It's a four book series. So we'll see. But this next one I'm really proud of because I think it will even resonate more because it's about mm -hmm. the dating world and not just sober dating mm -hmm. as a sex and love addict, but what we learn can be take anybody could take it and have a better dating experience right yeah so yeah it is thank you for sharing that information i do you, so you don't have a release date yet i i really i really admire that you wrote the books yourself thank you i i and didn't use a ghost yeah writer. i i and got I offered said that i got it wouldn't offered be yours if it. you did yeah it I was that's, and that's you know, That's the editor I used undertake. was really kind and gentle and never made me yeah. feel, you know, if I put the wrong punctuation or <laughs> so yeah. I, I just really had someone around me that was really gentle and just like t showed me different. Yeah. And she said, you know, you're breaking a lot of rules with this book, but it's actually okay. You can do whatever you want. And I said, yeah. oh my God, thank you. So her allowing me to write it how I speak instead of like yeah. how books are written really helped right. me just like go okay i'm just gonna do it all like i'll just do it and see how it goes but thank yeah. you for saying that that really means a lot oh of course yeah yes. you come do, back do when you have an estimated release date for your second book oh my god i don't <laughs> know probably next year probably the end of okay. next year um yeah i was they were trying to give me a deadline like at the beginning of next okay. year. And I was like, I, I, I can't write. I can't like, leave a right message. Now. You're yeah. lucky I'm doing this thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but you've been an absolute pleasure. Thank you guys. It's so wonderful well, to get to you know so you much. and just break bread and just put it all out yes. there. And I'm so grateful. Yeah. I just, I do want people to be more open to this subject and understand that it impacts women as much as it does men. Yes, it does. And the love addiction really impacts a lot of men too. You know, people don't talk about yeah. that. So thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's been a pleasure and I truly appreciate you sharing. Mm -hmm. Thanks, guys. Thank you so, so much. It has been. And we're going to put all of your links. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. We're going to put that. all thank of your you. links in the show notes. I'll well. message you on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See you in the meet.
<laughs> All right. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>